Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Um, we tease Paul about this all the time, so I'm just like putting you on the spot. Like Paul has like two modes that we like love. He has like spiritual prayer, Paul, and then as soon as it's like time to give announcements, he's like, "What's good, fam?" So we tease him all the time. We think it's great, but I love that. And then he uses he uses I am jealous. You're right. That's actually what it is because I can't talk like that and be taken seriously. Uh, people will be like, "What are you What are you trying to do? You're weird." They already might think that, so we're in good shape. How's everyone doing this morning? Good morning. It's so good to see you. I think the weather just makes everyone happy today. That's how I feel about it. After a couple, like, rainy days, it's good to be together on a beautiful, sunny day this weekend. So I'm glad you're all here. Um, If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Ephesians chapter 4, and you might want to keep your thumb on Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture uh, this morning, as Paul mentioned, we're on the second to last week of our Holy Spirit series, Activate. We've been learning how do we live a life uh, activated, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about how uh, life with the Holy Spirit is just like the life Jesus lived, that Jesus did not live his life on earth, all the miracles he did, everything that he did on earth. He didn't do it out of his divinity As we've said over and over, he did it out of his Holy Spirit-empowered humanity, meaning he was showing us how every human being can live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is our model, our template, for how to follow the Holy Spirit and be empowered by the Holy Spirit day in and day out. And we talked about uh, how we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit sets us apart. We're, We're now part of this new family of God. And it's not by something we do, it's by the Holy Spirit uh, filling our lives. And and we talked about uh, women and the Holy Spirit on Mother's Day and how the Holy Spirit's this great equalizer. How everyone is given the same Holy Spirit, whether you're a little child or an older person or a man or a woman, no matter where you come from, the Holy Spirit uh, is given to everyone. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit sets us free. We talked about how the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to live well and encourage each other. And this morning, we're going to talk about um, unity in the Holy Spirit. Unity in the Holy Spirit. Uh, as, uh, as we get into this, I just want to frame this for us this way as we talk about unity in the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit. How many of you are homeowners? Homeowners, how many of you have ever had clogged pipes or like plumbing? Oh, I heard some, oh, that's bad. That's bad. If you've got clogged pipes, oh, it's not a good day. Uh, how many of you have like had like your, you know, your toilet clog a little or like maybe like your shower drain or bathtub drain a little and you're like, oh, I'll just like leave it and see if it goes away for a day. Maybe the problem's not there. Yeah, some people are like, yep, yep, I've done that. Uh, how, how many of you are like the person that like the second there's like any increase in water without that drain being closed, you are like in the car peeling out to get the Drano to dump down there or you're, you've got the plumber on speed dial. How many of that is you? That's probably better. Uh, a couple things if you don't know, I was reading this little uh, blog from a plumber 
And they said, if you don't deal with clogging in your pipes, you're going to have more than just a little bit of water pooling up when you're trying to take a shower. Uh, it can cause flooding. How many of you would love your home to flood? No, probably not. Bacteria and microbes can grow in, in the clog pipe. E. coli can grow in there. Salmonella, staph, some other ones I can't even pronounce. Uh, whatever uh, bacteria causes Legionnaire's disease, all of these different things. It sounds lovely, right? Uh, you can get pest infestations in your clogged pipes. Cockroaches, fruit, fruit flies can be coming out of your drain if there's a clog. Drain flies, silverfish, centipedes, ants, all sorts of lovely little creatures. How many of you are freaking out right now? Uh, mold can grow in there. Molds can grow. Any of you had a mold problem with your plumbing before? I really hope that's not the case because it's pretty terrible. There can be structural damage to the piping. It can leak. It can cause structural damage in the home. You have bigger issues than just calling a plumber. You might have to call an engineer or an architect in. How many of you have seen, know that there can be toxic gases that get released, actually, if you let the clog go too long? If the clog in the pipe is not dealt with, the water won't flow properly, and it's going to lead to serious health concerns for the house itself, but also for the household, those who live in it. If the clogged pipes are not dealt with, the water won't flow properly, leading to serious health problems for the house and the household. Now, in the church we can actually experience similar issues to these clogged pipes. These clogged pipes are really similar to how the household of God functions, believe it or not. Uh, when we have problems in our relationships with each other, when we have things like bitterness, unforgiveness, uh, unmet expectations, we get passive about conflict, all these different things. When these things are happening, they're like clogs in the pipes of the household of God. Clogs in the pipes with each other. And when these things exist between people, the Holy Spirit cannot flow properly like water flowing through pipes. And when the Holy Spirit cannot flow properly in our lives and in the life of the household of God in the church, it leads to serious health concerns for the body of Christ. Serious health concerns for the body of Christ. So this is really the, the main idea I want to communicate today, that uh, the health of our relationships, look around real quick, don't be afraid, don't be shy, I want you to look, look who's around you, look who's around you, look at everyone. Okay, because it's getting real this morning. The health of those relationships affects how well the Holy Spirit will flow, if you will, in our lives and in our whole church. Are those relationships healthy? It's flowing well. Is there a clog in the pipes? There could be some serious infections. Diseases, structural issues. But here's the good news. Here is the good news. When the, when the Holy Spirit is flowing, when, when, when the Holy Spirit is going well in our lives, good things are happening. But here's the reality. It's pretty hard to live 
with other people, isn't it? The joke among my pastor friends is, you know, ministry would be great if it wasn't for all those people. Because the reality is, any organization, any, any kind of institution is absolutely perfect until you introduce a single person, let alone two people. Let alone, what do we have, about 50, 55, 60, somewhere like that in this room, somewhere between maybe 40 and 55 right now, plus there's children involved, different stages of life, different backgrounds. We didn't all grow up in the same family context. We're not all from the same country, some of us. Some of us did not grow up with the same socioeconomic statuses. Some of us are from different ethnic backgrounds than others, and there's all sorts of things that make doing life together incredibly complicated, incredibly complicated. And then on top of that, even growing up in your own family, you could have conflict and you all are kind of living in the same context, aren't you? Oh man, this is hard, isn't it? So think about that. The health of our relationships affects how well the Holy Spirit is going to be flowing in our lives and in the whole church. But that's hard. That is hard to live like that, we become easily offended. We can be hurt. Sometimes we have a right to be hurt. Someone hurt our feelings, right? Even if it was an accident or a mistake. People get wounded, whether it's this, their church experience they're in now or previous church experiences or family things that they bring into church things and they project those old relationships onto new ones. It's hard to forgive sometimes. Sometimes we, eat, we don't forgive easily, or sometimes we forgive too easily. We haven't actually processed what happened to us, and we're like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And we have the opposite problem. All of these kinds of things, we can, be remain, we can be bitter, we can be angry, we can hold on to these things, and it's all blocking our access to the Holy Spirit. Not just in our own lives if we have stuff. It's actually blocking the flow of God's presence in us as a household of God. A lot of times we do this because, like I said, we grew up in families that did conflict very differently. Think about it for a second. How uh, was conflict handled in your family? Oh, man. There's laughs, there's mutters, there's uncomfortable squirms in your seat. Think about how whatever your, your uh, upbringing was, wherever you grew up, how was conflict handled in your family? Did it get handled passively? Were there peacekeepers? Like if something came up, you're like, oh, oh, oh let's, let's, let's try and like work this all out. Let's, let's, let's be, be civil here. Did everyone like to blow up at each other and just scream until it got resolved? There's all sorts of different ways that we've learned to do conflict. So we have, generally, we have pretty negative uh, views about conflict, right? Conflict is bad, always bad. There's never anything good with conflict. So let's just like lay low and like not get to know people too well because I can't like let the real me come out in here because I, I want to like be able to still come to church, Right? But, but then we're missing out on the depth of relationship that we're called to, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it is hard, isn't it, to live well in community together and not let stuff clog the pipes. Here's the good news, though. Jesus has saved you and I and called us out of our old ways of relating to each other 
out of our families of origin and into a new family. That's good news. You have actually been saved out of your family of origin and you are now in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. That's, that's good theology. That's, that's biblical truth. And so you get to, get to, unlearn the old ways of relating to each other and take on his new way of living life together. He has saved you out of the old and brought you into the new so that the Holy Spirit can flow powerfully and effectively in your life all of the time. Think about when your pipes are working well. Imagine how simple it is to just turn that faucet on. We don't even think about it, do we? And that water just flows. Imagine if the Holy Spirit was flowing through your life like that. Turn that on, he's flowing. He's there, constantly present. It's going to require that we walk with Jesus and, and, and agree with being saved out of our family of origin and come into his new family, a new way of thinking, a new way of handling conflict and relationships in particular. So how do we live out this, uh, this calling to, to be out of the old and into the new? How do we live out uh, this calling to unity through the Holy Spirit? I want to offer you three thoughts today from Ephesians chapter 4 and then from Acts chapter 2. So let's pray and then we will jump in to what this means to live in the unity of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present today. Uh, I, I, I feel like out of so many of these messages in this series, this one hits particularly close to home because it's the stuff we face every single day. But we are asking you, Holy Spirit, just as we believe the truth that Jesus has saved us out of our old way of functioning, our old way of thinking, our old way of relating, we ask that, that we would step into the work of Christ today that's been made available to us, and that we would walk out unity through you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys ready? We're going to start, and, and we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4 for these, these first, first two thoughts today. And the first thing I want to talk about is that unity through the Spirit requires active participation. Unity through the Spirit requires your active participation. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Think about that just for a minute. Put a pin in that. You have been called by God. Not to relate the way you were, but relate in this new way to each other, among other things. You've been called by God. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious Hope for the future. So a little bit of context 
The book of Ephesians is, uh, it is written to a church that is incredibly diverse. They are in the city of Ephesus that is a, a cosmopolitan city. That is a city that is full of ranging thoughts, ideas, philosophies, ideologies, cultures, ethnicities, everything. They are religious views, everything. There's so much diverse background. Uh, so the church in Ephesus is made up of people coming from so many different walks of life. And Paul has just been spending the first three chapters of Ephesians saying, because of everything Christ did, did through his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. And now that he is seated with the Father, because of this truth of who Jesus is, when you are in him, your life is not what it was. It is something totally new. And Paul uses this phrase, this idea throughout uh, Ephesians, depending on the translation you read, he'll say, a new humanity or a new family. You are like human 2.0 when you are following Jesus. It is what humanity was always intended to be since creation, but now in Jesus we can fully live out that calling. And so Paul's here saying, live worthy of your calling that you have been called to by God. He's called you specifically. Called you, think about that for a second. God has called you personally and specifically. Because when we, when we get into talking about dealing with uh, how we relate to people, and we're like, listen, I think I've said this before, like, I'm just a, a hot-blooded Italian or Irish Catholic, like, this is just what I do. That's what you did in your old nature. Jesus is making you new. And he's calling you to something new. And we could go through whatever your background, your family of origin, we could, we could talk about it. Because every culture, every background, every family has these things. Hey, look, my family in particular, we keep secrets. We don't talk about the past. We don't talk about things that happened in our family. We don't talk about it. We, just, we, we keep the peace. We're passive. And then the same problems will happen over and over because no one's learning. Conflicts are never actually dealt with. And so I had to learn how to come out of my family of origin and practice being open, transparent, not living a life with secrets, being honest with my children when they're when the age appropriate about things that have happened in the family, understanding and learning from those things, dealing with conflict well. That's my way of living a life worthy of the calling to which I have been called. It might be a little different for you, but we all have these things that are shaping how we grew up, depending on how old we are. It could be 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60, 70 years. But it's been shaping us. And Jesus is saying, you are now being called to live something new that I have made a way for you to live in. And this gift of the Holy Spirit, freely given to each of us, is not something that you can earn. God's just giving it to you. Right? So we're in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit now, and, and, and you're living this new calling, you're going to live as one, and Paul says this phrase, make every effort, now that you're one in Christ, now that you're a new family, uh, you're living in unity, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Okay, you're here now, it's not something you've done Jesus has put you here through his work. You, you can't make yourself a new family. It's all Jesus. But now that you're here, make every effort to live a life worthy of this calling. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. 
this is how we are called to live. So it's not something that we earn, but here's the thing. Uh, it is something that we can actively participate in. I want to just uh, focus on this one phrase, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Uh, a probably better translation is this, take great pains to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That, that hits a little different than, hey, make every effort. Kind of makes it sound like, like, yeah, if it doesn't work out, it's all right. Take great pains to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Think about what's involved with taking great pains to make sure something happens. What lengths do you go to? If, if Jillian, my wife, is like, you cannot forget to stop at the grocery store on your way home to pick up whatever it is. It's usually for her, it's half and half. We ran out of half and half, and if she doesn't have half and half in her coffee, I'm running out to get half and half. I, I, I cannot forget this. There's been so many nights where I get home after we get the girls to bed, I have to run out to the store because I forgot to get half and half. I gotta, gotta get the half and half. I am going to go to great lengths. I'm going to take great pains to ensure that half and half is in our fridge for the next morning. I just think she should drink it black, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, what do you take great pains for in your life? What, what takes great effort? What do you have to, it's almost like it's going to be painful. I've got to discipline myself. I've got to go out of my way to do something I wouldn't normally do. That's what's ta being talked about here. Take great pains to do what? Maintain the unity of the spirit. If you have a goal, if you have a responsibility, look around you again at everyone here. Go ahead, don't be afraid, don't be shy, look each other in the eyes, I know it's awkward. If you have a responsibility to each other, it is this. Take great pains to maintain the unity of the Spirit. If you have a responsibility to each other, it is that. Take great pains to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, mind you, this is not something you can, you can't bring the Spirit the spirit is already yours. The work of unity has already been done. You are not trying to force unity. Your goal is maintaining unity. Very important. Marcus Barth puts it this way. Uh, uh, it is to be maintained, not attained. None of you can attain unity with each other. There is too much between us. Sin, let alone our, our differences of our backgrounds that we grew up with. There is nothing any of us can do to attain unity with each other. Nothing can be done to attain unity with each other. We can uh, force conformity or uniformity, but it is not unity. Unity can only be achieved through the work of Jesus. Unity can only be achieved through the work of Jesus. We've got too many problems in our, in our lives to have it happen any other way. So the goal is not for us to attain unity, but to maintain the unity. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? This is not work you can do, but now that you're here, take great pains to maintain this unity. What great pains do we need to take to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Think about your personal relationships with people. How are you actively participating in maintaining the unity of the Spirit? What conversations are you shying away from because it's really difficult? What are you not talking about with people because you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to talk to this person. 
What old family stuff of being a peacemaker are you activating and engaging in when you say, oh, whoa, whoa, everyone, everyone, just calm down. Let's, are you good? Are you good? Okay, let's just, let's just, let's not argue about this. Let's not argue. What do you need to do to take great pains in your personal relationships, in the larger body of Christ? Where do you need to actively participate, participate actively identify the conflicts that you are involved in and then move forward in reconciling with brothers and sisters and taking steps to do that? How do you know if you're, if you're in a conflict? How can you actively participate? You really kind of need to know that you're in a conflict, right? This is not exhaustive, but just a couple practical things. You can tell uh, that you, you need to do differently uh, when you're engaging in conflict. Here's some patterns that keep us from unity when we're in conflict. Um, one pattern that might keep you from unity, it's stuff, a lot of us is stuff we've learned from our families of origin. Uh, things that like uh, being peacemakers, not peace, uh, excuse me, peacekeepers, not peacemakers. A lot of times uh, we, we, we grow up as peacekeepers in the home. You, have you been uh, a, a peacekeeper? Uh, uh, peacekeepers do things like, I don't have this one on the slide, I don't think, do I? No, I don't. But that's okay. I want to talk about this one. Peacekeepers, uh, what they do is they say, hey, are you good? Are you good? Can we, can we just like all be good? Like, I don't want you to get frustrated. I don't want you to be mad. I don't want you to be upset. And we're constantly trying to control and regulate how other people feel when it's impossible to do that. We're constantly trying to walk on eggshells and make sure we kind of keep, keep things chill because we, we want to keep the peace, right? Anyone ever struggle with that? You can be honest, we're in church. This, this is a place to be honest. Like, you're like, yeah, that's me. I really want zero problems everywhere I go. That's okay. Let's be honest. This is a place and a space for honesty. Some of us uh, need to learn how to be peacemakers. Jesus called, said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why are peacemakers different than peacekeepers? Because peacemakers recognize, well, actually, there's a real conflict here. And we're only going to get to the bottom of it if we open that up and actually engage it and dialogue in a healthy way. How, how can we get everyone to hear where everyone else is coming from and talk through that? There's probably some bitterness, some unforgiveness. We need to resolve some things. And so Jesus highlights peacemakers as people who are needed in the kingdom of God. People who are not like, whoa, 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 let's like pretend there's no problems here. But people who are going, okay, this is real. There's conflict. Let's talk about it in a safe, healthy way where we can grow together. Peacemakers aren't afraid of people's emotions. Peacemakers aren't afraid of uh, scary uh, conversations. They engage them with the love of Jesus because they know they need to take great pains to keep the unity of the Spirit. This one's on the slide. Are you passive or aggressive when it comes to conflict? Some of us are passive. We engage. Uh, we might be passive aggressive. We just like little snippy comments here and there. Uh, we, we avoid the main conversation, but it's been bugging us all day. But some of us go to the other extreme. We're aggressive. The second someone does something, we're like, I'm, I am going to hunt you down. And we are having this conversation the way I want to have it right now. And the other extreme is just as bad because we think we're being healthy, but what we've actually done is we've mistaken intensity for intimacy. We're going to come at you screaming as hard as we can, thinking I've done a good job of communicating, but all we've done is freak the other person out, and they don't want to talk to us anymore because it's unsafe. There's a middle ground where we can express and communicate what we're feeling 
where we, we can dialogue and talk about what we're really feeling, what really scares us, why this set us off. Because usually like anger and stuff, it's like a secondary emotion. Really you're afraid underneath or you're scared about something or you're sad about something. There's other things triggering that, that anger. And if you can get honest and move from I'm angry at you to, like this is what happens with our kids a lot. If you have kids, right? They're going to run in the, the road and the first thing you do is you scream at them, right? Get out of the road. Why are you doing that? Were you actually angry at them? No, you're scared to death they're going to get hit by a car. So that's where the vulnerability comes in. The intensity is I'm just going to rage on you when there's a conflict. The, the uh, intimacy, which is where we really want to be, is pulling that kid aside and said, I'm sorry I screamed at you. I felt so scared that I was going to lose you. That's vulnerability. That's intimacy. That's opening yourself up and opening up space for the other person to hear what's really happening in your life. Approaching conflict that way is so much better. So are you aggressive or passive? Do you need to engage and open up in that intimacy and that's terrifying to do? Or do you need to dial it back and approach the conflict in a different way? There's also triangulation. This is going to be good news for someone today. Uh, triangulation is when uh, you and another person have an issue with each other, but you talk to a third person about it, and the third person like, becomes the go-between for the two of you. So here's the good news. If you find yourself in the middle of a conflict that's actually about other two people, bless them to take care of it, and you get to walk away. It's not your problem. So that's the good news for someone today. Uh, you're like, I'm caught in the middle of this. No, you're not. They're trying to triangulate you and get you involved. They need to be grown adults and go talk to each other. And if they need some help doing that, maybe you can help moderate that, mediate that. But what we need to avoid is like, do you know what so-and-so has been doing? I just don't, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do with them. Now, you can talk to someone else if you need help, but it's got to be like, I'm afraid about having healthy conflict. Can you hold me accountable to go talk to this other person? With a third party, not just... Here's me, here's me dumping everything about them, and now I'm not actually going to go talk to them. Triangulation. So we need to avoid that. Recognize if that's a pattern in your life. Um, how many of you have arguments in your head? I'm so good at winning arguments in my head. How many of you win every argument you have in your head? I'm, I'm batting a thousand in those. I'm so smart. And in, you use all your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lose all your own arguments in your head. That's another problem. <laughs> Um, but man, we, this is, can be a lot of different things. Rumination is when you're kind of stewing on something someone said and, and it gets twisted and you spiral out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they really meant by that that they hate me? Someone says like, good job. And you mean by that they were being sarcastic. They hate me. And, and it becomes this other crazy thing. This is real. Like we go there and I, we laugh, but that really happens if we're honest. Uh, you could be fantasizing about how you want to win the argument. They're going to say this, and then I'm going to come at them with this, and then they're going to, and then I'm going to say this, and then they're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, you're right! Like I'm totally wrong in every situation. You are always right." That's how it usually goes in my arguments with my wife, and then we have the real conversation, and I realize that it was my fault most of the time. Um, I'm, not, I'm not just like saying that to be self-deprecating. That's really, honestly, usually how it goes. Um, sometimes we're projecting. Sometimes we are putting a conversation on them that is, has nothing to do with them. But all these different ways of, of arguments in our head are uh, amplifying conflict beyond where it really actually is. We're having these huge arguments and then you get twisted in your mind and you imagine they've said stuff that they didn't actually say. It was an argument in your head. Uh, here's another one, expectations. This is a huge problem with conflict. Expectations. Have you ever had an expectation? someone, but you just expected them to kind of read your mind and know that's what you wanted? 
<laughs> this happens more than you think. Don't be awkward. It's okay. Uh, expectations. Pete Scazzaro says this. Expectations have to have four things. They need to be conscious. You need to be aware that you have this expectation of someone else. Uh, you, they need to be realistic. Is this a, an expectation that's actually like reasonable for me to ask of them or expect of them? Is it spoken? You actually have to talk to the other person and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Could A, B, and C happen and be very specific, not general? Like, oh, we talked about this. I'm like, yeah, you threw out the idea that you were thinking about it, but you didn't tell me what you were hoping to see. So has it, been a, has it been spoken about clearly? And then finally, both parties actually have to agree. If they say, I can't do that, you can't hold them to that expectation. And then uh, Pete Cazero says this, expectations are, hear this, only valid when they have been mutually agreed upon. Your, your expectations of other people are only valid when they're conscious, realistic, spoken about, and agreed upon. If that hasn't happened... Go back and start at the beginning. You might be really angry at someone and you realize I had this unmet expectation, but I never talked to them. So it's okay to be upset, but go to them and say, okay, I'm really mad. Here's why I'm mad. I did not communicate at all an expectation I had. Totally not your fault. Can we talk about what I'm hoping in these kinds of situations for the future to see if this is possible? And then you can have a great conversation about that. My wife and I just did that this morning. My sister, we're hosting a birthday party later this, this afternoon and evening. And we both kind of have like eight different things on our list that we need to get done this afternoon. So this morning I was like, hey, what's your expectation about how this afternoon's going to go? Because I, had a, I was realizing I had a whole idea in my mind about what I needed to do when I get home this afternoon. And I was like, oh, wait, see, I'm learning. Jillian might need me to do A, B, or C, or she might have a different expectation. We need to get on the same page about this. So doing these kinds of things are how we actively participate in the unity of the spirit in the body. It's how we can work actively to take great pains. Do you hear how there's great pains being taken to do this work of identifying what's in your head and then actually talking to people about it? You have to take great pains to maintain this. This is active participation to keep the unity of the spirit. So now that we've identified uh, that we need to actively participate, uh, there, there might be some conflict that we've recognized that we need to step into and deal with. How do we handle this? That leads us to the second point. We, unity through the spirit requires gracious conflict. It requires gracious conflict. We have to step into areas of conflict when we really do need to have these conversations with a tremendous amount of graciousness. Later in Ephesians 4, verse 30 to 32, Paul writes this, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So just think about this, this phrase for a second. He has identified you as his own. This is back to the identity in Christ, being united in Christ. 
the idea here is that we are seated with Christ. We're together with Christ positionally. He's done this work of unity. We have the spirit that's unifying us. We're in Christ. But here's the thing. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor during World War II, he says this. Um, we can't be in Christ separately. A lot of times we think about, yeah, we're all in Christ. But we think about it as like individuals. Like, I'm in Christ over here, and you're in Christ over there. And, like, Christ is one body. We read that just in the previous passage. There is one Christ. There is one spirit. There is one body. Listen, if we're in Christ, it's cozy. There's close proximity. There there is oneness. There is a need to say, well, I'm just going to go do the in Christ thing over here, and you can go do it way over there, and we're good. And it's nice to feel like we're all in Christ. But the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit is, this is what he's doing all through Acts, is he is smashing together people who are nothing alike to display God's wisdom. Paul writes that earlier in Ephesians. Bringing together this crazy clash of people. The Spirit's bringing together people in Christ to display how wise God is. See, I'm about to fall off the stage. I know, Sandy. Sandy says to me, I'm always freaking out. You're going to fall off that stage every week. Think about this. This is what uh, one theologian uh, commentator on Acts, the book of Acts, the story of the Holy Spirit in the church. He says, one thing that struck me reading Acts is that almost no one in Acts is doing what they want. The Holy Spirit is, is almost just compelling them and overwhelming them with the beauty of the gospel to say, become one. Become one because of what Christ did. So we do not get to be in Christ separate. We have to learn how to live well together. And that means we have to graciously handle this conflict. He has identified you as his own. We're his children. And all the children have to learn how to play well together. When we're not gracious in conflict, it looks like that list Paul mentioned. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. And Paul says this, the Holy Spirit is grieved when we do these things. Did you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Think about this. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not a human, but a person. He has personality. He's not some, it's not like Star Wars with the force, where it's just some energy force that you can kind of manipulate to do as you want when you need it. The Holy Spirit is a person who moves on us. He has his own will, but he also has emotions, feelings. You can hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings through your behavior towards your brothers and sisters. Let that sink in. This, this, is, this is sobering for me every time I read this. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we walk in bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. You can make him sad. Whenever we've been wronged or offended, therefore, we have a critical decision that we have to make in that moment. What are we going to do? Are we going to engage and, and take great pains to maintain the unity of the spirit in this conflict? Or are we going to grieve the spirit and step out of the unity that has been given to us? 
What are we going to do? Are we going to walk in this bitterness and rage and slander? Or are we going to turn towards each other, become gracious towards each other in conflict and be tenderhearted to show kindness, to forgive one another? Here's the beautiful thing about uh, forgiveness. Jesus actually gave forgiveness as one of his commands to us. Forgive each other, even as I have forgiven you. Forgive each other. Think about the weight of that, how much Jesus has forgiven you, and he's saying, now you turn around and forgive each other. Forgiveness is so powerful. Forgiveness is what the world needs right now. It needs people who have been radically forgiven to radically forgive. Because here's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness breaks the cycle of vindictiveness, of retribution, of revenge, of having the right to be offended about something. Think about what happens in a typical day, a typical week with a family member, a friend, a coworker, someone does something, you get offended, you get a little passive aggressive and there's little digs throughout the day at them. They're getting hurt by that and offended and they're getting a little passive. Maybe they learn the same pattern as you or maybe one of you learned at some point that you just like blow up on the other person when it gets to be too much and you've had it and you've gone through this cycle where you blow up and you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry and you go back but then the same cycle happens again. And what the gospel does through forgiveness, through graciously entering conflict, is it means it's like a bike tire. Just picture a bike tire, and it keeps going and going until someone slams like a metal rod in there and stops the wheel immediately. And and what forgiveness does is it says, I am offended by what happened, and I am giving up my right to be offended. It's done. How much could change in the church? How much could change in your family? How much could change in your relationships if you stuck the rod of forgiveness into the bike tire of revenge and offense? How much would change? This is the power you have been given as followers of Jesus. As I have forgiven you, forgive others. What power you have. Graciously entering conflict allows you to use that kind of power, that kind of forgiveness. So just some practical things. How can you graciously enter conflict? How do we graciously enter conflict? A couple tools you can use to help you walk in this. Uh, Using you made me feel versus I felt when you. One thing we're teaching our daughter right now, once in a while, she'll, uh, she'll get really upset because we're asking her to do something or she doesn't like what she's being asked to do, like clean her room. And, um, and, uh, and she will be so furious sometimes because she doesn't want to do it. And she'll say, you're making me so mad. Anyone ever said that? You're making me so angry. The reality is no one is making you feel anything. They might be doing something, and when they are doing that, you feel a certain way. So we have to separate some people's behavior and their actions from what we feel in our emotions. Because your emotions might be valid, because sometimes I was asking her something legitimate, right? Help pick up your toys. I mean, she's three. I'm helping her do it. But help pick up your toys is a reasonable request, right? But she, she's learning, and we're teaching her how to reframe how she handles the conflict. So we ask her, say that a different way, and we walk her through it. 
something you can do. And uh, it doesn't have to be with a little kid. It could be two grown-ups thinking about how we get away from saying, you made me feel this way, or you did this, or you did that. Accusatory language makes us defensive, and it just keeps the cycle of conflict going. Instead, using, hey, I need to tell you, when you did this, I felt very hurt, or I felt afraid. When you didn't show up on time, I felt disrespected. I felt unwanted. Whatever those emotions are that are going on there, have a dialogue around that. Make the problem the problem. Don't make the other person the problem. Some people, they don't want to engage in healthy conflict, but if we're talking about the body of Christ, this is how we want to talk to each other. Engage in, I felt when you, instead of you made me feel. It gets us away from accusations. Second, uh, defensiveness and blaming versus taking responsibility. When there's conflict, everyone can own something in the conflict. Everyone can take responsibility for something. Uh, a lot of times we get defensive and say, well, that's not what I said, or whoa, 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 like I don't know about that, and, and, and we're twisting things, or we don't wanna be, we're not self-aware enough to realize what's happening, or we blame others, and I'm like, well, that's because of so-and-so. And, and sometimes there's valid things that other people did that created situations, but do your best to take responsibility for your choices, for your actions, for your words, for your body posture, anything that could be creating and, and co helping cause an issue and say, you're right. I totally understand how when I was late showing up, I made you feel, or you felt unwanted. See, I did it there, I had to correct myself. You're right, I understand how when I was late for our dinner, you felt unwanted. I'm so sorry. I'm going to, here's what I wanna try and do to change that in the future. What do you need from me so we can move this forward? Totally different conversation than like, no, 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 my boss kept me late. Like, it's like you have like no feet and hands and like your boss has to cart you to your car to your, to your dinner appointment or something like that. Everyone makes choices. And when we say, I don't have a choice and we blame others, you're actually disempowering yourself to be able, for being able to change. And so you need to step into what God has given you as his child and move from defensiveness and blaming into taking responsibility. Finally, uh, one more thing I want to share is forgiving too soon. What? Is that even possible? How can you forgive too soon? We just talked about how powerful forgiveness is. Here's the thing. Forgiveness is only as good as the depth of, of dealing with the pain has been. So uh, a mentor of mine puts it this way. If someone caused a 10-gallon bucket of pain to you, you can't just scoop out like a, a cup and, and pour it on the ground and say, there, I got my pain out. I voiced my hurt. If it was 10 gallons, you need to dump 10 gallons of pain out before you're going to have the space to forgive. Does that make sense? And so it's such a helpful analogy and picture because some of us have been hurt so badly. And honestly, sometimes it's not what one person's done. It's what hundreds of people have done throughout our life. And if we don't do well unpacking that and getting healing from that and processing that, it is so hard to forgive the way Christ is calling us to forgive because it means you can't bring that offense up anymore. It's done. The sign that you haven't processed enough and you forgave too early is if you keep going back to it. Keep going back to it. Keep ruminating on it. I bring it up again. It's like, just like that other time when you did this. Wait, I thought you forgave me for that. These things are done and in the past. And if the pain has not been processed well, 
If you forgive too soon, you won't be able to graciously handle the conflict because it's unfair to the other person. You just keep bringing up old stuff and they're like, wait, I thought you forgave me for that. Forgive when the time is right and sometimes you need to wait. Sometimes you need to wait. Very quickly, my, my third uh, thing I want to say about unity here is that unity through the Spirit requires a redeemed imagination. Very quickly from Acts chapter 2, just this one verse. This is right before the Holy Spirit comes. This is going to lead into what we talk about next week. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, we've come from dysfunctional family situations. You're all probably thinking about all the ways you need to like, change how you handle conflict, how, how we do this differently, right? Imagine how significant, this, this is so significant. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit hasn't showed up yet. They're waiting. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem. Wait until I send the Holy Spirit. So they're spending uh, 10 days between when Jesus left to go to the Father and, and Pentecost, 10 days just praying and seeking God. And it says here in verse 1 of chapter 2, they were all together in one place. Now, this verse just doesn't mean that they were in the same room together like we are now. This is actually a, a, a verse in a Greek. In the Greek, it's describing a oneness of heart and mind. It was describing the state of their community. It was describing, it's almost actually a musical term that's being used here. There's harmony. The, the, the entire gathering of 120 followers of Jesus that were waiting, they were all together and they were one. Now, this is profound because think about the dysfunction that all of his disciples lived out. Think, think about the arguments that came up while Jesus was with them. Which one of us is the greatest? How do I get to be the greatest? How do I get to be better than these guys? Some of them were offended when James and John got their mom involved and pulled Jesus aside to say, hey, Jesus, can my son sit on your right and left hand in your kingdom? And everyone else was furious, probably because they didn't think to get their own moms first to ask Jesus what was going on. And then they all abandoned Jesus when he died. And think about how they were blaming each other for that. Thinking about, well, you should have done this differently and you should have recognized that Judas was a traitor. And like, weren't you supposed, that he was your buddy. We got the buddy system here. Who knows what it was? But the, imagine the conflict and that's just the stories that we know of, right? These were messed up, highly dysfunctional individuals. And in Acts 2, we cannot miss this. It says that they were one. They were all together in one place. This was not just 10 days of prayer. This was 10 days of working out their issues with each other. That's part of prayer. Folks, all of the baggage that we carry in to church, all of the life that we've lived, all of the, the stuff, the propensities we have, the, the stuff that clogs the pipes, it's time to do what Jesus says, to wait on the Holy Spirit, to listen to how he guides us to reconcile, to be active in our participation with the unity of the Spirit, to graciously enter conflict. Because here's what happens when, when we do this. We, man, we're so used to thinking about, man, if I'm going to get in community with people, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be hurt. And you know what? That might happen. Pastor friend says that uh, we are wounded in community and we are healed in community. There is no other way. 
But here's the vision of, of a redeemed imagination. We, we need to think differently, man. Some of us come from families. Like, if the church is a family, I'm out because my family was terrible. But we need to redeem our imagination about what family can be. We need to redeem our imagination of how the Spirit wants to flow through and how he wants to invite us to clear the stuff out of the pipes of our lives. What could happen in the community of Jesus if your imagination was redeemed about what family looks like? What if you suddenly saw family as a place that you could trust? What if you saw family? Look around, look around. I've had you look around at people in the room. Look at people. Don't be scared. This is where everyone's getting scared. What if this was a place where you could be vulnerable? Truly vulnerable, not like fake vulnerability where you're like, wow, look at them. They confessed that they lied this week. Good job. I'm not knocking that, but you guys know what I mean. I'm talking about like, like really coming to a place where we feel, not forced, but we feel honest, like I can just really talk about what's actually going on. What if this, the redeemed imagination brought us to a place where we thought, this is a community where, where I can find safety and healing. This is a community where there's joy and companionship and friendship. Like, I actually want to need these people. What could happen if our imagination was redeemed about the unity of the, through the Spirit? We need to eagerly desire, as Paul said, the unity of the Spirit, because without it, we cannot receive the full measure of what he wants to do. There is stuff in the pipes that needs to be cleaned out. And if we want the flow of the Spirit through the house of God, it's time to unclog the pipes. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Would you stand? I want to close with just four quick questions as we prepare to take communion. Four questions maybe the Spirit is working on you with as we prepare to take communion. Question number one, how was conflict handled growing up? Take some time. You all have an extra day off for the most part? That means you've got extra space to be with God. Think about how you can just carve out some space to maybe just journal for a few minutes. How was conflict handled growing up? If it's the first time you've ever thought about this, it might be hard to dive into it because you're just so used to it. It's just normal. This is just what conflict is. But really think about it. How did mom handle conflict? How did dad handle conflict? Other family members or guardians or, or people that lived in the home, whatever that family situation was like. How have I processed, uh, have I processed the conflict, the hurt, the pain, the wounding that I'm experiencing? Or am I just going in circles? Am I willing to take responsibility for my part in the conflict that I find myself in? And do I and the other party have a safe space to listen to each other? So if you engage, need to engage actively in the unity of the Spirit this week, use these as a starter gauge. And then maybe some of those other tools that we talked about or ways of recognizing conflict are helpful ways of thinking. Maybe they'll help you get yourself out of a conflict cycle that you just can't seem to get out of because you just keep doing the same mistake over and over again. How is the Spirit moving you, wooing you, pushing you? Remember, He is clashing and bringing us, smashing us together in unity. What pipes is it time to unclog? 
What have you ignored for too long in the drain? And he's saying, it's time. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.